So our gospel passage that we're going to have for our worship service is coming from the Gospel of John, 14th chapter, verses 23 through 29. So I invite you to stand as you're able in body or spirit for the reading of the gospel passage. And Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I've said these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world does, but do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be frightened. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I am coming to you. If you love me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you these things before it occurs so that when it does occur, you may believe. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. When reading this passage, one word just jumped out at me. The word home. Home. And it got me thinking about my life and the home I grew up in. Not the, the culture of the family, but more of the physical home and how we got to that home. I was fortunate enough that I didn't move around a ton of places while I was young. So I have like one house that I primarily remember. That's, that's what I call the old place. You know, the place you grew up at. My family and I, we lived in, in South Jackson in the, in the 80s. And then in the early 90s, I think it was 1991, they decided to move up into Madison. Okay, Over 30 years ago. And a lot has changed, obviously, in those 30 years in this city of Madison. And we actually moved out to what was called the county, out there in an area between Twin Harbors and Lost Rabbit, in a subdivision called Summit Village. Moved right out there. But to get there was a little bit of a journey. My parents decided to take on the task that I don't think I'm brave enough to take on in my own life. But they decided to take on the task of building, designing, and building their home from the ground up. Okay, and for those of you who have built a home, it is a very laborious task where you have to answer questions like, I don't know what knobs I want on my cabinets. I never really thought about that. There's different types of toilets you can pick. I just want a toilet. All of these discussions that you have to have to lay out the home that you want. I remember as a child them having those discussions with the builder and looking at the plans and how my mom wanted to change this and change that. So it took a while to nail down the plans, but they did. They found a lot in a neighborhood that was getting developed, and that's where they built the home. But I guess it was good news for them. They put the house in the market that we were living in, and it sold before the home was completed. So we were homeless and on the move. So there was a season, I think, of a couple of months. We actually lived in my grandmother's garage. She had a carpeted garage with a window unit in there, and I remember they used the boxes to make rooms in that garage, okay? And like I said, that only lasted a couple of months. I think it was the day after Easter, they said, we've got to move out of here. And so we went to an apartment, okay? The four of us went to a very small apartment because it's very temporary, and we shoved in there, 
And that was quite an experience as well. So I have all these memories of us being on the move as this house was getting built. Once it was finally built, we were so happy just to be in your own place. I don't know if you ever had that experience where you were moving around until you finally got to your final place. But the home that we had was a great home. I mean, I was generally just spoiled and blessed by what I had and didn't deserve any of it. But I had a very nice place to live, a nice big yard. Uh, It was a small enough neighborhood where mom and dad would let me run around the woods with the neighborhood kids and things of that nature, and they just would let us go. Um, It was really great. It was a good home, physical home. And then I remember the the, the day that they sold it. Okay, which was hard to, for me to grasp, but I understood it was the next logical step for them because my sister and I were out of the house. I was married. They didn't need a two-story home on a two-acre lot. They wanted to get a garden home, and so they had to sell the old place. And I remember walking through with my dad because he said, I've got some boxes in the attic that you need to take to your place now or we need to get rid of, and walking through that empty house. Oh, that was hard. You know, the house that you grew up in. You used to see in the furniture where it was, just empty. And I remember walking on the floor, and you just hear your footsteps echo through the house. So sad. But every now and then I'll get a wild hair, and I'll go drive around Madison, and I'll go down the old place and see what it looks like in the neighborhood. And it seems a lot smaller than I remembered growing up. The yard didn't seem quite as big. The houses seemed closer together than what you remembered. They painted it a different color. I don't like the color, but it's not the home anymore, you know. I don't have the heart to tell them, whoever lives there. But the home, you know, that stuck out in me in that passage. And I always think about my home that I have, you know. My kids have moved around more than I have. And I told them, I'm, I'm toe-tagged in this one, okay. The funeral home's going to move me out of this place because I'm done moving around. But I always am conscious of the home, and the physical home, making sure it has what the family needs. And so that kind of sticks out to me in this passage when I read it. It's one of the many things, but it's one of the big words that came out as home. Dwelling place, okay? Dwelling place. Jesus is talking or answering a question directed to Judas in this moment. But it, it's interesting to see, if you see the, the verse before, verse 23 is, Judas, not Iscariot, okay? Not the one who betrayed Jesus. It's like when they wrote down the gospel, they went back like, not not the bad Judas, okay? This is another Judas. But he's having a dialogue with Judas, not Iscariot, when he answered him. And he said, those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the words that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who who sent me. Jesus, when you start with the 13th chapter, going all the way through the 17th chapter in the Gospel of John, he is giving his farewell discourse. Okay, He is giving this long discourse covering a bunch of topics because he knows he is going to the cross. So these are kind of some of his final teaching points. You know, it's kind of wrapping up his session. It's the fourth nine weeks, and he's reviewing everything before the test. And so this is his farewell discourse, chapters 13 through 17. And so it's hard to get the full breadth of what is being said here if you just read sections of it. So I always like to bring up, if you're hearing a sermon from anywhere of these chapters, it's part of the longer farewell discourse, okay? 
And when you read this part about the home, and whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the words that you hear is not mine but from the Father who sent me, and that my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Love in this part is the glue that holds the whole thing together. Without it, it would fall apart. And so Jesus is telling Judas and all of us in the moment here that my Father will love them, and those that keep the words also have love. But those that don't keep the words don't have love. Love is the glue that holds this whole thing together. God's love for us, God's love for the world, and our love for God. Without it, it all falls apart. Then in verse 25, he said, I have said these things to you while I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. Peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. This is the, the perfect set of verses to set up the argument for the Holy Trinity. Because here Jesus mentions God, Father, Himself, Holy Spirit. It is the Trinity in this passage that you pick out in this piece. Because the, the theology of the Trinity came after Jesus' resurrection. Okay? The theology, the concrete theology we have came after Jesus' resurrection. Here is some evidence of Jesus mentioning the Holy Spirit, the Advocate. The thing with the Holy Spirit... And I've said this because I read a, a really interesting book by Francis Chan, and I liked what he called it. It's called The Forgotten God. And the Holy Spirit, was, that's what the book was all about, was the Holy Spirit, is that in our faith, modern-day Christians, a lot of times gloss over and don't focus on the Holy Spirit piece of the Trinity. But it is so incredibly important for us today, as Jesus has ascended to sit by the right hand of God the Father, we are left with a helper, with an advocate, the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times we don't sense the Spirit or seek the Spirit or allow the Spirit to move us in ways. And I, I challenge us to be more connected to that part of the Trinity. To be more connected to the Spirit. We got Jesus covered. We know about Jesus. We know about God. But the mystery of the Holy Spirit, I think sometimes we just kind of gloss over and don't tap into that energy source that Jesus has given us. The analogy that Francis Chan used in one of his videos about the forgotten God was the one of a sports team, a football team. And I've used this before because it's so, so riveting, gives you a so good, clear picture of what the church does sometimes. But the football team at a football game in a big old crowded stadium, the football team is the church, okay? They're on the field with the preacher or the coach rallying up the players and making the call, the play, and the world, the skeptics are in the crowd watching, cheering, getting ready for something awesome to happen. And the team breaks and goes to the field with the play. And they get to the line and get in their positions, but they never hike the ball. They just stand up and go sit on the bench. And everybody's scratching their head and it's like, what is up with that? And he gives this analogy of the church, because that's kind of what the church does on Sundays. We get all in our huddle on Sunday mornings, right? We get in our huddles. Or Wednesday nights, you get in our huddles. Your teachers, your preachers, they, they, they 
call the plays, motivate, whatever you want to call it, and then we break from our huddles and go out into the world, but we don't do anything about it. And his point was that sometimes we don't allow the Holy Spirit to drive us past these huddle moments, that we need to tap into that source of the Spirit to finish out the plays. So here you have a good example of the Trinity and the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus goes into this discussion about, you know, I'll, I'll leave with you peace. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. Jesus had no, nothing to pass down in inheritance to his disciples or family. There's no check coming in the mail from the estate. Just wasn't happening, okay? He left them with physically nothing but themselves and sending his spirit. But what he wanted to leave with them is peace. Peace. I don't give you physical things as the world does, but I do give you peace. So do not be troubled. Do not be troubled for when I am gone. He is trying to prep them for what is coming, which is the cross, which yet they do not see, but he knows this is where it's going to end up. Then in verse 28, he said, You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I'm coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice and I'm going to the Father, because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs, so when it does, you may believe. He's still reassuring them of that when I go to the Father, peace I leave with you. Believe in what you have heard and what you've seen. He's giving them the reassurance that they can carry on the mission, that they can carry on making disciples, and that love would be the glue that holds it all together. He is prepping them in his farewell discourse for what's about to come and what will be at the end what they need to do. And so when you circle back and think about this piece that I started off with, with home, home. You know, when you have people coming over to your house, most of us will kind of, what, pick up, right? Straighten up a little bit. Maybe put the pillows on the couch the way they're supposed to. Or actually use all those pillows you buy for decorations for the bed and put them on the bed instead of in the, on the cabinet where they are most of the year. So you straighten things up. You make sure there's toilet paper and there's you know, soap and the dog hair is off the floor and the dust is off the table and everything's just picked up and you want it to smell good in there so you may light a candle or whatever. You know, someone's coming over. You're going to make, get things ready, right? Here in this passage, we are told that those who love me will keep my word and my Father will love them. And guess who's coming over for dinner? We're coming to them and making our home with them. And so when you accept this message here, and you live in this, in this moment of love, and you're accepting of Jesus, they're coming to your house. They're coming to live with you, reside in you. But it's not a physical home, but it's your inner being. They're coming to reside in your heart. The Spirit is coming to you. So as you get your home ready for people to come over, what are you doing in your personal life that allows you to be in the best position to receive our Lord and Savior? What are we doing to make sure that we're able to receive them and embrace this message that they're giving us? And that requires us to be intentional, right? 
We have to be intentional and be focused. It goes back to what I call those spiritual disciplines that we all are supposed to be doing, right? But it also is to be conditioning your heart. Conditioning your heart and removing those walls and those barriers and that hardness. So that they can be coming and receiving you. And allowing you to show the love that they are giving at that time. So what are you doing to prepare yourself to receive God? And then as a church, you know, we always have to not just think about ourselves, but as the church body, as the body of Christ, as St. Matthew's and Church Universal, all of us, what are we doing to make sure that we are allowing the Holy Spirit and God to be within us as the collective body? Are we doing things that kind of clutter our spaces that prevents us from truly receiving God and doing what God is calling us to do? Or are we just filling it up with busyness? Are we filling it up with just focus on ourselves? Or just doing improvements to a building or whatever? Are we, take, are we cluttering our ability to hear what God is calling us as a church to do as well. And so that's why this whole concept of home just sticks with me when I read this passage and what we are doing individually and what we are doing as a church to receive our Lord and Savior and allow the Holy Spirit to move us in ways that it's calling us to be in this moment at this time. Because if we look at it, there's a lot of clutter in our personal lives and sometimes in our churches. And sometimes we have to kind of straighten things up and clean some things out so we can fully receive our guest. And so my challenge with us in this moment is for us to evaluate individually. Are there things that we're doing or is there things in our lives that are preventing us to fully embrace God and God's love and to give it? Are there things as the church body that we're doing that are cluttering our ability to decide what God's will for this church and the body of Christ to be. And if there are some things, be intentional. Clean it out. Put it on the side of the street. Get it out. Straighten some things up. Straighten some things up.